Well, hello everyone. I'm not sure how late into the year we can say Happy New Year, but this is our first episode of 2024. So welcome to another another year. I hope you've had a wonderful festive season. We've had a packed schedule of rugby over the festive season, although it feels like sport uh, headlines recently have been dominated by 16-year-olds in dart championships and six wickets falling with no runs scored with a South Africa and India and very little rugby, but uh, we thought we would bring some more of that content to your feeds. So with that, uh, I have our regular podcasters with me tonight. So I have Phil. Phil, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, just the one match we enjoyed this weekend, which was the Lions beating the Sharks, which we'll get into with the lot more. It is curious. But um, generally doing pretty well. Thanks, a good Christmas and New Year's break and back at work this week. But uh, yeah, other than that, all good. All right, and you, Ant, how are you? Um, well, well, again, we'll get into that. I feel like it's becoming a recurring theme and mood. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know feeling feeling good and rested. It still kind of feels strange to me to have, you know, rugby matches on the eve of Christmas and New Year's Eve and things like that. It's very strange. Um, but I'm I'm all here for it. I'm never against having a beer in sunny Cape Town. Would you rate your mood one out of nine? Is that about the right? <laughs> I think 16, 16 out of 16. Uh, okay, all right. Um, and then we've got a guest today, and uh, we've mentioned the, the Lions-Sharks victory very recently, and uh, with that in mind, we thought we'd bring on another Lion just to tip the scales in uh, the Lions' favour by two, which is exactly the margin they won by. And with that, we have uh, Alex, uh, Phil's older brother. So, Alex, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Excellent. We uh, one horns one horns bees. The only thing better than one horns bees two. So uh, we're very happy to have you. Um, we're going to run through a few news items. Just clear those out of the way before the the gloating and commiserating can begin. Um, a few of those related to European rugby. Um, and you have been keeping track of a couple of the movements there. A couple of the the standout South African players. Do you want to give us a brief? Um, yeah, sure. I think the, the kind of the biggest news coming out of Europe um, and potentially still unconfirmed is just a lot of big name players signing from the English league moving into um, the French leagues. So the, the English Premiership have changed their uh, salary cap rules to reduce the number of marquee players per club. So previously you could have two players that didn't count towards the salary cap, now it's down to one. And so you know there's lots of noise pre uh, in the last couple of months about Saracens, for example. You've got two players, um, Otoje and, and Farrell, both sitting on apparently around £900,000 a year. One of them we're going to probably have to take half uh, that salary as a result of this change. Um, but now it seems like the rumours are that Farrell's going to be heading across to... Uh, Paris Racing 92 to join Khaleesi, which would be a very interesting and exciting move. Um, well, exciting, maybe not the best way to apply to Farrell, but certainly interesting. Um, but he's not the only one. There's quite a few other players, I think. I mean, we've already seen George North moving across to the Pro Deux Tour. Um, and apparently, Courtney Laws is now also heading across to the Pro Deux Tour. So it just shows that there's, I think, I suppose, uh, an excess of money in France all around. <laughs> How does that work? Do they have much more lax salary caps? I'm I'm not sure how they're getting all these top stars. I think it's both. I mean, there's most of the clubs I think are privately owned by billionaires who just do it as a hobby. 
Um, so they've you know got excessive expendable money, but then I think there also is probably laxer salary capitals. Um, but I think the, the, the French also take a very um, lenient eye towards financial management, as evidenced by Bernard Laporte. You know, getting um, I don't think he even got a, you know I think he got let off in the end for his um, dodgy French uh, financial running of the entire union, which include bribing. I think it was Morocco and then by which not vote for us in 2023. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, I think most South Africans won't forget it because that was the last chance we had to host a World Cup in a long time. Who knows when the next chance will be? Well, at least 2035. And I don't think we're planning to bid for that either. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, one of the trade-offs is the French treat their players like just resources. They don't treat them like human beings which uh, is very French in a way. So you mentioned Sia Colisi. I mean, hasn't he been fitting in well and aren't the Sharks missing him, And Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the, the Sharks. Well, we don't have to, but it is interesting <laughs> how Colisi just does seem to get loved wherever he goes. Um, you know, kind of already a cult figure in France immediately. Uh, um, you know, getting special treatment, not having to play the first couple of games, gallivanting in the States, comes back, is sitting in the stands at soccer place and... No, he's already getting the, the French players to also in Bijou. It's insane how, how much influence this man has. And on the field, you know, he's been, been doing things as well. I think um, they, uh, 92 are doing very well in the French league as well as Europe. Yeah. All right. So that pretty much covers uh, continental Europe. Um, if we move into the parts of the British Isles that are still involved in Europe, over to Ireland, but keeping with the theme of World Cup winning Springboks, um, the two South Africans in the Munster lineup is been a fair amount of uh, talk in the last couple of weeks around where uh, Achis Neyman and Jean Klein are going to go. Jean Klein obviously no longer Irish qualified, so he's uh, created a bit of a headache there. Achis Neyman obviously with his injury history. Um, and I think a lot of people were really, really hoping that Achis Neyman would come back to South Africa. Uh, we actually talked about it on the pod where he would fit in best. Um, but it turns out he's staying in Ireland. Um, he's going to go join Jacques Ninaba over at uh, provincial rivals Leinster. Um, and Jean Klein is actually going to stay at Munster uh, as a foreign player, uh, although he's not going to play for a few months now undergoing shoulder surgery. Uh, Phil, your thoughts on, on those two locks movements? Yeah, I think any of the other teams would have been lucky to have Sneman. Um, any club in the world would have probably taken, you know, have him probably starting just about any club in the world. So it's a bit of a shame that we won't see him back on our shores, but as long as uh, he gets treated well by the Irish and is able to play for the Springboks, that's a good thing. Um, for John Klein, I, I think it's good for him that he can stay in Ireland. He's very settled there. I'm not sure in terms of the Springboks if... Um, He's part of long-term plans. I mean, he's not too old. He's just in his 30s or around that age now. So I would like to see now that the World Thanks Cup... Thanks for saying he's not old. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's very young compared to some on this part. Um, but, yeah. I, I was thinking to Alex actually about it this weekend, about how now that the, there's a new World Cup cycle, it would be nice to start seeing a bit more succession planning a bit more blooding some of the youngsters, seeing someone like Ruan Nokia get a bit more game time. So mm -hmm. to be honest, I don't really 
want Sean Klein to get too much of a look in for the Springboks, just seeing that he's on the wrong side of 30 already. What do you guys think? The fact that we're playing Ireland um, in our incoming tour this year, that, that would affect it. You make can maybe squeeze one more one more tour out of him with his local yeah. knowledge. If we're, if we're squeezing one more tour out of him, then I'm going to have to argue that we have to squeeze a couple more tours out of Vili to get his 100 caps. Um, that, that, that's my only request. Uh, how many How many is Vili off? Isn't he one one calendar year off? Yeah, he's on 93 at the moment. So yeah, is that too far? Yeah. Nah. Well, the only problem with Vili is that his replacement is very clear cut, you know, with plenty of experience. You know? So it's not like we need him to blood in the new guy, if that makes sense. Um, I'm glad you say that's not only for Other than that, he's perfect, right? Yeah, he's been tearing it up for the Bulls. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, like, and, and just, I mean, I was at the Stormers Bulls game a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, you can just see the, the impact he has in the backfield. You know, he's really marshalling Moody and Lawrence around the backfield and just playing that very kind of calm veteran head uh, role just so effectively. So, you know, I mean, he's, he's is getting on in his years, but he's he does the things he needs to do still incredibly effectively. So I wouldn't be upset about them being in this room, but apart from you know that that kind of the same kind of question around playing, like what's the balance between experience versus flooding new players, you know what I mean? So and I think as I said, I think the, the only the thing he's saying in his way is that Willems is very established and experienced. So we you know we don't need Willie's guidance there anymore if we're looking for the future. Yeah, it would be a shame not to see him get to 100, given that he's on 97. Shame. I mean, I'm going to throw it to Alex here. Alex, uh, you're the coach of Leinster. You have Erkis Neyman, Ryan Baird, James Ryan, uh, Jason Jenkins, Joe McCarthy. Who are you starting as your locks? And did they really need Erkis Neyman? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, from my perspective, it. It wasn't an obvious move for me for them to pick him up. Uh, you've mentioned uh, a, a number of players, and we know that Leinster like to have effectively two squads of, of players. But even with that, the quality that they have is there. I mean, you can argue that someone like Ryan Baird is being played more as a loose forward uh, than, a, than Luck. But still, um, I don't see a huge need from their side. So for me, it's an interesting pickup. I'm, I'm interested to see how much game time they want to give him um, and whether his game time is going to be eating into some of their young players because I think Linz have got pretty good pipe pathways for bringing through uh, young Irish players to the top level. So, yeah, um, it's, not a it's, not, it's, it's obviously not my decision, but I don't think it's one that I would have necessarily been looking to make. I think um, from his perspective, obviously, staying in Ireland is probably quite easy. Um, and I'm not sure what the situation is with Munster in terms of them um, being willing to let him go. Um, but I just, I yeah, I did just assumed that he'd be leaving Ireland altogether. And uh, him popping up at Leinster is, uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting call. Yeah, very weird. Do you one. think it's uh, shocking you know, but just undermining the Irish system from within? <laughs> um, I think he's probably obviously had a an impact in the in the pickup. But I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, <laughs> yeah, and obviously you're not being serious in terms of, of that, but uh, it, it, it is interesting because having, it's, it's one of the things about having uh, non-national coaches. So having international coaches is that uh, they're not going to be as aligned with what is best for Ireland or um, they'll, they'll be looking at what's best for Leinster. And we know that Leinster 
lose all the Irish internationals for some games and things like the URC. Um, I thought you were going to say the games. Uh, yeah, so it's it's um, it's it's an interesting one. I think they've picked up players before, like uh, they they had um, Michael Alato, and I didn't think that they really needed him. And then he got more game time because, again, I I, I think I'm still getting used to URC where um, you have a lot of play, a lot of overlap with international games at times. So, and then you also have the just the the fixture congestion and the amount of games that you play require a much bigger squad. So it's yeah, there, there's definitely factors which make sense. But again, I, I feel like um, I'm not I I don't really expect Irish teams to pick up that many non-Irish players, especially Leinster who are so strong and don't have diff, uh, issues in that position. Some salient points there, nice. Um... Coming a bit close to home, but sticking with the theme of player movements, there was a a player who's threatened to break through into the likes of Springbok ranks and has been touted as a future Springbok great since he was young. He's not so young anymore, but Wandesile Similane, otherwise known as Shifty to those in our draft uh, league, he is moving from the Bulls to the Stormers. The Stormers are suffering something of an injury crisis at centre, Dan Duplessis just come back, but Ruanel is now out with a long-term injury, and Similani is more of a 13, although Jake White was favouring him more at a 15 slot, which has now been taken up by Vili LaRue, who we talked about. So he's made a move. I think it makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, he will fit in nicely into a very exciting Stormers backline, but there's questions over his defence, um, and I don't know if he'll fit in straight away, but what were your guys' thoughts? Does anyone have any specific ideas around that move and of course Cornell Smith going the other direction uh, to the Bulls. Any thoughts on that? Is, is his defense more um, under nine than Harry Arundel's? <laughs> well, what have you got? What have you got <laughs> against sort of, yourself, apart from the fact that you just got tackled? Well, no, just that. It was just a, a lovely clip this weekend of Arundel doing his best attempt to not tackle Nakarawa. <laughs> it was, it was very much a Billy LaRue type of move where it was very he, much I'm going to stand there and then just he dive. Purposely, yeah, he purposefully moved out of the contact. <laughs> but, like, I don't want to touch that guy. <laughs> Which is understandable. I mean, Nakarawa at full flight's an imposing figure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope that Similani finally lands. I think he moved to the balls at kind of probably the wrong time as Jake was trying to develop, you know, his multi-position players. And so he got shifted between wing and center and fullback quite a lot and never really established himself in that lineup. And so he probably lost, what, two years of solid solidity in a position. Um, so hopefully at the Stormers, he can, he can be, just play consistently at 13 with Nell's injury. But at the same time, that Stormers back line is stacked with steppy, kind of talented players. Yeah, I have my doubts about just Simulani as a good player, I think, in general. Like, we know he has talent. Actually, he left the lines, and now you just... Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you you uh, know me too well. Um, but <laughs> to, to be honest, even at the lines, towards the end of his line season, like, like you said, he's been spoken about since he was an SA under-20 player about being this prodigious talent. But he's always just lacked something, and at the Stormers, I think he does have the best chance to succeed in the sort of very attacking sort of backline that they play with. But he's a very unstructured player, I think. Um, he's not... 
I, I think he played best sometimes with the Lions at wing rather than 13 or when there's just a lot of space. So we'll see if the Stormers can get the best out of him. But I am very, uh, I'm not too optimistic. I would like to see him do well despite him, you know, having betrayed the Lions and being someone who came up through Joe Berger. It would be nice to see him stick with the Lions. But yeah, I, I would still like to see him do well. Look, if there's a Storm, if there's a team, sorry, that can turn around the player then it's the Stormers. I mean, we've seen it with so many guys that were average at a couple of different unions. They arrive at the Stormers and suddenly they, you know, well, not world beaters, but they're really, really strong club players. Well, money in the box. Um, you know, and some of them go on to be. I would say But if you look at other guys like um, Diamani, you know, he's not going to be a Springbok anytime soon, but, you know, he's having a really, really strong career. And there's a whole bunch of guys like that. I mean, Ben Ruiz versus move from the Sharks and... Um, I mean, even Ben Loder, you can put in that conversation. You know, yeah, I think the current the current Stormers team seems like a positive environment and one which certain types of players can succeed a bit better. Whereas the Stormers team from years back, which favoured defence, I think would have been a different story. No, for sure. Yeah, Alex, would you I, concur there? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd echo my brother in a lot of ways. So I think. Um, we we obviously have spoken quite a lot about him, um, but he's he was a player who I wasn't sad to see the leave the Lions. Um, he I think he's someone with a p incredibly high uh, potential. Uh, he's got a lot of X factor, and that's something that you can't really coach. Um, he's got that elusive factor, and he just. But what he doesn't, he's never really felt to me like he has the the key techniques that you need to be in particular an outside center so outside center you a lot a lot of outside centers are the ones who marshal the, de the defensive line he i don't think i've ever seen him really do that and i don't think his distribution is is great so um you get the ball into his hands and he can go but uh yeah he he's he's never been kind of my preferred 13 it's he's almost uh an anti conrad smith uh, in terms of his skill set, so um, and Conrad Smith is probably my perfect thirteen. So, uh, yeah, he, he's. Have you met uh, so yeah. <laughs> I would love to see a foot race between Conrad Smith and uh, Simonon at their yeah. peaks. It would be fun. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if Simonon has that much like straight line speed. He's got that great explosiveness, and he's got that change of direction uh, in terms of his movement, but. Um, I don't think. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people have been loath to stick him on the wing because he doesn't have that like outright pace, and that's why thirteen or, you know, thirteen has a lot more space for that kind of thing. But his decision making also isn't isn't quite there. I think to to exploit it when he does make breaks and and uh, I think I, I I always thought that he would do better if he left the Lions to end up in Europe. I've seen a lot of players who have a lot of similar rawness um, really get... I mean, I, I I think you look at someone like a Fuff de Klerk where he was he was still very raw when he left the Lions and has become a well-rounded player um, in Europe. And I, I feel like the there's some coaching quality issues that, that affect some of the South African teams where it's, it's either they can't get through to the player or they can't... Um, or they don't have the ability to, to kind of teach the player what they need to learn. Um, so that that's why I think Stormers could be very positive. Uh, like you've mentioned, there's, um, I think they'll probably focus on trying to 
uh, accentuate his positives rather than round him out because I think it's quite difficult to round him out at this stage in his career. Um, but yeah, I think I think he does have a chance to be successful. And I, again, like I think, and and alluded to Diamani, um, I think he's probably got a similar skill ceiling. I mean, a, a similar um, ceiling that he can reach. Whereas I think earlier in his career, there's a lot of um, hype for him being a potential Springbok. I don't really see that anymore. I don't think he'll get to that level. But I think he can still be a, a good player for Stormers and a good player at URC level. Hmm. We'll see. I mean, he, he, as you say, doesn't really have the out-and-out pace for, for wing. He probably doesn't have the kicking game for fullback. Um, and the defensive organization at 13 is a problem. And he's not at 12. He's not a distributing or or sort of crash-boarding 12. Although Damien Willemsen manages to do quite well with his feet getting over the advantage line. Uh, I just don't see him in quite the same position. So he's he's a very talented rugby player, but I don't know if he really owns any specific jersey. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, it also remains to be seen whether he'll play ahead of the likes of Suleiman Hartzenberg, Ben Loder, Warwick Finland, who can all play 13 in the absence of Ruan Nell. So I guess we'll discuss that again on a future podcast. Probably enough there on Shifty, I think. But maybe staying with the Stormers then um, and getting into some of the local rugby and what's been happening. Um, they've been on a really good streak recently. Uh, the last time we did the pod, I think they'd come off three losses in a row. They've now got three wins in a row. Um, some really impressive showings, despite the loss of, of Evan Roos to a jaw injury, which was devastating for my fantasy prospects. Uh, that aside, um, they've been, I think, going a bit back to basics, uh, losing some of the flash, um, getting some of that Springbok mentality of winning very tight games, including a one-pointer against the Sharks. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's all doom and gloom for the Sharks. We'll get into that, but um, they have pushed <laughs> very close. Um, and, no, they're, they're looking a lot more healthy now. I think yeah. six, six on the log. Um, your guys' thoughts on, on the Stormers, how they're looking, what their prospects are now with a couple of home games coming up? They had a couple of tough tours early on. Yeah, I think it's tricky to judge the South African teams because we all start without our spring box because we, you know, won the World Cup as opposed to every other team which got knocked out in the quarters. Um, you know, so we were at a disadvantage from that perspective and we were on tour for the first, you know, four or five weeks. Mm. So, you know, we really did start, I mean, all of our teams started terribly. I think there's what a combined, what, four wins, three wins out of 16 or more for that first segment. So, you know, all the teams were starting at the bottom of the log and I think we're slowly pulling our way back up it. I mean, we being the South African teams, you have to look at the Stormers and Bulls particularly. So, you know, I don't think sixth is a bad place to be necessarily, given the start. Um, you know, particularly when you look at a team like Leinster that's, you know, lost to and things like that. So there's, I think there's still you know, plenty of optimism given the, the home matches ahead and that, you know, the, the, the European teams are going to lose all their internationals relatively soon to the Six Nations. Now is really that's really where we kind of start pulling back log points um, in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, there's, there's been talk of Springboks maybe being out for the same period um, of the calendar that the Six Nations. Well, just for like for. rest rest reasons or rest reasons for like February March, like the sort of Six Nations period. I don't know if that's been confirmed, yeah. but uh, yeah, John Dobson spoke about it, 
And Stone has been Stone has been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I was also able to go watch the match against Bulls and um, against La Rochelle. So beating the defending European champions, even if it was also a tight uh, tight margin at home, was pretty good. And you take a win all day long. Like La Rochelle also brought a super strong team. I think they were just missing Aldrich. But um, yeah, it's looking up. Um, I think going forward, Stormers. And the Bulls, like Anne said, probably are looking out of the South African team's strongest, which is not difficult when the Sharks are propping up the table. Um, and the Lions, the Lions are, although they're 11th at the moment, they have a game in hand, and they also have mostly home matches. I think it's six out of the remaining nine or so are all at home. So, yeah, it's looking much better for the South African teams, I think, ball one. Yeah, I think um, one of the differences between the Stormers and arguably the Bulls and the rest of the South African teams is that without their Springboks, they've still managed to put really good performances together. And we saw that when the, the Stormers sent a, a very much a B squad over to, I think it was Les Tigers, and uh, put them uh, within a couple of points um, until I think the 78th minute or something. Um, and that was Andre Pollard, you know, World Cup winning fly half versus Yuri Matia, who's like just got his degree out of university. Um, and <laughs> you know, the, the likes of Yuri Matia and a few of the other young guns really put up their hands and they've developed really good structures and depth, uh, which is you know, missing in a couple of the other teams. Um, the Bulls, let's maybe just touch on the Bulls before we get to uh, uh, Lions and Sharks. Um, they're also playing really attractive rugby. Uh, you guys were talking about Vili LaRue. Uh, Kirtley Orange has come back, hit the ground running. They've got a really solid forward pack uh, to the point where they don't even have to play their captain, Marcel Kutzer, anymore. Um, they're looking like a, a unit. They still can't beat the Stormers, but um, against everyone else, they seem to be performing really well. Your guys' uh, thoughts on the Bulls? Maybe we'll start with Alex. Yeah, I think uh, you've touched on a couple of really good points. I think they're their loose forward depth in particular is is kind of stunning. Um, they've got uh, obviously like current Springboks and the likes of um, Vince Darden and um, former Springboks like Nizam Carr. And then you've got the, the up and coming guys who are also looking um, really promising. Someone like Eric Lowe, it should be in the Springbok reckoning like properly. And uh, Cameron Hanacom has come on in leaps and bounds this season and has really made a name for himself. So I think they, they've they've done a really good job of building depth, and they've got they've definitely matured. Like I think I'm, I'm quite surprised that they they don't they almost don't play like the archetypical Jake White team. Um, they've got a bit more to them, I think, which makes them a more exciting team to watch. I think maybe their their biggest weakness at the moment is I. I just don't think Johan Hoysen is really firing his fly half and Chris Smith as backup is is not much to write home about. He's never really been a first choice URC or super rugby level fly half for me. Um Mornay Stain sort of was a stopgap for a while, but Johan Hoysen for all the promise and all the, you know, the big homecomings and you know, we bring him back and he's gonna go to the World Cup as a fly half. And I just don't think he's really bedded in and, and reached his potential at the Bulls. Um yeah, uh, and that's that's a real problem when your fly half isn't firing. You guys agree? Yeah, I think he's been very hot and cold. Like he's had some really really good games, but not consistent enough. 
and they've brought other guys back, like they have Jakob van der Bolt, um, who we haven't seen too much of. You can also play fly half. I think Henry Immelman was another signing from Edinburgh. I, I don't know if he's played or started at least. I think he's on the bench a couple of times, but bringing players back, not getting them quite involved as much. Like they, their depth, other than loose forward, is a little bit lacking. But then at the same time, they've had really good performances from people like David Krill, who, who perhaps you wouldn't have expected as much from. He's He's been really good. And then the scrum halves this season, I think uh, Papier and Zach Berger, when he's played also, have been pretty good. Yeah, it's just a problem when yeah, you have... Papier is definitely impressive. Yeah, no, Papier's really had a renaissance of the season. Um, he's come back and, and showed why he is a springbok, a cat springbok. But when you when you have a back line, or at least an outside back three of... Vili Leroux, Kirtley Arantza and Kane and Moody, you know, all recent World Cup winning Springboks, and you can't unlock that potential out wide, then now there's problems there. But that being said, I think they're still very much um, in the top two of the South African sides. Uh, and if we move downwards then towards the Lions, um, this is this is uh, one of our main discussion points, and it's why we have uh, two Lions supporters on, just to give it the proper attention. But as you mentioned, I'm just going to go and make myself a cup of coffee. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> be back in ten minutes for the sharks dissection. Um, the the lions, as you mentioned, fall sitting eleventh uh, in the URC table right now, but they have a game in hand and with a bonus point win against the Ospreys. I think that they're playing next um, at home. That's a very real prospect, and they will then be sitting. Well, if if that result happened today, they'd be sitting joint fourth with Ulster. So that would be a, a hell of a result. Wow. Though, having a great season. Um, what's happening at the Lions? Is this, a, as I said, a, a renaissance for them? Is Ivan van Rooyen the u, new Johan Ackerman? Wow, no, he's not. Okay. Let, let's just nip this in the bud. The Lions, just because we beat the Sharks, does not does, does not mean that uh, things are all rosy and looking uh, completely amazing. Uh, and we did beat the Sharks without our Springboks, of course. Um, <laughs> which which Springboks? Because we don't. Because we don't have any. So um, no, it's. I mean, it's. It was a great result. Eighteen three down at half time. So it wasn't like. You know, and just an amazing performance that put the Sharks away. Really, the Sharks led the Lions back into it in the second half, if anything. I think this season has been sort of characterized more by, like, gutsy wins, grinding out tough matches, sort of like the Sharks won, but especially when they went overseas and managed to win in Wales. Um, and... As as we've said, whenever we talk about the Lions, there's been positive performances from the young players, uh, and that's carried on. Horn was really good. Both Horns were really good on the weekend. Rowan Fenter, um, and the scrum was really good relative to you know the sort of players involved. I think, but no, even whether it's style of play, whether it's um, the actual performances themselves, I think it's way off where the Lions were back from 2016 to 2018, where they made, obviously, three Super Rugby um, finals in a row. But even, like, at the couple of years preceding those, they were, when the Lions were building, there was a different feel about it. I don't think that with this coach, the same thing would be happening. Um, I think 
I wouldn't be able to see, even if the Lions were able to keep their young players together, like you would need a better coach for this team to succeed, unfortunately. Alex? Is, yeah, uh, um, true? I, I think, uh, again, like I, I don't differ too much in terms of my perception of uh, Cash Van Royen. Um, and then, and I, I don't think the Lions have been great this season. They've been good, but I think there's a couple of there's a few too many key weaknesses in the in the squad um, to be a properly good team. And I think you also have the the issue where you've got the, this cohort of really good youngsters coming through. Um, maybe not. I'm, I'm not sure any of them are looking exceptional at the moment but they're, they're they're looking quite promising and they they're on good trajectories but uh we're, we're really missing the the older heads so you've got players like alberts in the squad you've got marius low uh captaining marius low was pretty poor this weekend um i think he made a lot of mistakes his standards are in general uh, so again he, he that really okay. just speaks to the the level that he's at i mean he's a he's a Former Sharks player, um, I think he, he realized he was getting crowded out at the Sharks and moved to Joburg. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's there's also Hooker is a, is a real problem for the Lions at the moment, where um, especially, I mean, you look at the quality Lions team, we had Marks, Akafenomova, Robbie Kutsia, we had three top quality hookers. Now, I don't think, I think those three would easily get in the team now. Um, so, yeah, I think the the weaknesses of the team are just uh, are there to be exploited. It's just a question of whether other teams are capable of doing it. But I think the the Lions have gone to a relatively conservative game style, um, and yeah, it, it's just meant that they can effectively will themselves into games and will themselves to results, which I think speaks to the um, temperament of the side, but not necessarily to the quality of the side. What do you guys feel about number Jolin ten? I think it's 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 something that works, but I'm not sure if he can do it. I'm not sure if he's if I still consider him a proper ten. His kicking is not as consistent as as like a proper fly half. Um, I mean, we saw some poor kicks, and then uh, I think the big not, the big bonus for me kicking. is uh, sorry kicking from hand. Um, and I I think the big bonus for me is that it it allows space for Fenberg, who I think is a very exciting player. Um, still very raw, but uh, yeah, he's got a lot of. He's he's very good at keeping the tempo high and uh, looking for opportunities. Yeah, yeah I like Van der Beek. Van der very exciting. Um, someone I've always kept an eye on fantasy wise, but he hasn't started consistently until Nohamba opened up that slot for him. But I also tend to agree. I don't know that Nohamba's game management and kicking out of hand are are that of a world class fly half, but. Maybe give him a chance. I mean, he hasn't disappointed. He just hasn't really shot the lights out for me. Um, and I think the shark. I mean, the Lions' problem is you get these young stars, up and comers, uh, rising through the ranks. And uh, in in two or three years' time, I don't expect to see Kuhn Horn, Enku Van Vag, Frankie Horn playing at the Lions anymore because they get snapped up by by the other teams, unfortunately. Um, and as much as they form a great team coming up, it just gets, you know, ransacked by by other clubs, international and local. Um, Phil, do you see the same same happening to some of these some of these bright young stars? 
I'll ask, can I kind of rephrase the question? Okay. How many of the Lions youngsters do the Sharks need to sign for them to be a good team? <laughs> there we go. That's the real... Which ones? So we can get the checkbook out. I feel like if you're a young Lions player, hopefully they are smart enough to realize that going to the Sharks is not going to be a good career move. Um, <laughs> you know, given what's happening <laughs> at the moment, just even ask, if the just, money is thrown. Yeah, um, just asking Milton here then. I, I think it's hard to be a Lions fan without being having some level of optimism that you're going to keep a group of young players together because, as you say, this sort of thing happens so often. So it's like every year you're just hoping, okay, youngsters coming through. But what Johan Ackerman and Matt Era did so well was manage to hold on to a group of players, allow them to develop with each other. We had a couple of years where the results were sort of mid-ish, mid-table, in Super Rugby, and then and then three finals in a row, all with a similar group of players. So, I'm hoping that some sort of you know decisions have been made where a lot of these young players have made bonds and made pacts together to you know stay in the same place and hopefully build towards something great. But that is part of me just being optimistic. Um, I'm hope I think someone like Henko van Beek, who's you know from Joburg, went to school here, grew up here. Maybe he'll stay, but I can't see all of them staying. Some guys like Jordan Hendricks and Emmanuel Shatuka, you know, their brothers have gone. I can see them both sort of following suit, for example. Um, but you have to believe. Otherwise, where's the fun <laughs> in rugby? Yeah. In the well, like Ben would argue that you don't have to believe. That's the whole point of being a Lions fan. <laughs> uh, the, the Lions have... Uh, always been you know, that that team that I think the fans have been complete diehards, and you get these players who come out of complete like ignominy. They either been thrown out of other unions or they've just come out of a complete obscurity of club rugby. You get the likes of you know Asinati and Tlavakanya, who, who looks like he ate two of Edward van der Merwe, but he's mm. like a a world class <laughs> world class prop, and he's like pushing guys off the ball. He's making runs. He's scoring tries. He's exciting. He's different. Uh, and you have these players in these different positions popping up, but then these key weakness areas, like you mentioned, Hooker, um, yeah, oh, just uh, undermining you know what what could be a really really good team. But uh, it's nice to see the Lions playing well. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Phil Phil mentioned being the optimist. I feel like I I always tend towards the pessimistic side. I where I'm more optimistic is I think that Lions can still bring players through and have shown it's it's so the recruitment at the youth level has been better and i think showing that you can give players opportunities creates the incentives for younger players who might not be who might get crowded out at uh, western province in particular where they've got you know all the schoolboy talent um there's an opportunity for them because uh, i mean what you can see is i mean kyuan horn is a young guy from western cape and he's getting an opportunity uh, which he probably wouldn't be getting the same level if he'd stayed at Western Province the whole time. Um, and I think young players need to kind of look at that when they're making their, their career decisions. Um, I, w I would, uh, yeah, I would be a bit wary of the Sharks. Like, I think the Sharks used to have a very good record of bringing through young players, and I don't see the same... Um, pathways for young players at the Sharks. They're getting, they're bringing in the big names, and th where does that leave a young player who who wants to get game time? Uh, you look at 
Emil van Heerden, who only got game time last season when he went on loan to the Lions and has got more game time now that he's kind of proven himself at the level. But it's the it's the uh, classic question of how do you get experience uh, how do you how do you get the role without having the experience? And it feels like the Sharks are looking for experienced players and not willing to blood youngsters. Hmm. Uh, I see Phil shaking his head. Do you disagree? Uh, no, I don't disagree. I'm just uh, from a Sharks perspective. It's just it feels like they've just done everything wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, especially just uh, with the money that they've spent. You know, it's just it's about as bad as things could have been. If you look at the, you know, it's a fact that they're bottom of the URC log at the moment, behind teams like Zebra, behind Dragons. Uh, it's very sad. And they've brought in world-class players like Evan Antibet, uh, one of the best in the world, if not, you know, top three possibly. Um, and they're still struggling so much. Like where, where is the rot? Is it a at the top is it from the new owners new management we've gone through a few different coaches since since they've started i mean sean everett is now doing a much better job in scotland um i think edinburgh like fifth or something so maybe we can throw it to ant where where is the problem do, do i have to speak you're on the spot oh i don't know oh, oh no to be honest I genuinely have no idea. I mean, I think last year there was lots of, um, maybe lot, not lots, but there were avenues you could look at to try and make excuses and Everett being one of them. You know, you had that really strong first debut season in the Curry Cup and then kind of didn't really deliver beyond that. And so, you know, you've got kind of a rookie-ish coach in his first senior role. Maybe that was something you could point out. But now you've got Plumtree, who's had an entire preseason. You've got Neil Powell, who's very experienced. You know, at overseeing systems, you've got a roster just full of these superstars. Um, yeah, it, it's it's weird. I mean, look, they do have their injury issues. Um, and everyone's talking about night, monsters, nineteen injuries at the moment. I think the Sharks list, maybe not at the moment, but at, at some points in the season, has been at least as long as long. Um, you know, including you know guys like um, Fitz and Koch and Bongi Malhar. I mean, Bongi Manambi. Like you've got really strong players that have been injured. Um, but if you look at the guys that are around, you know, Karen from Fear and Fez and Barter, they've been playing at this level for five, six years now. So it's not really an excuse. Um, they're kind of stacked across the board and they've got a lot of experience with players. And even guys like Pepsi, James Fenton and stuff, you know, they've been playing senior rugby for five, six, seven years now. I, yeah, it, it, it's weird. You know, you would think having someone like an Etzebeth would sort culture out, you know, because he just wouldn't tolerate low standards or messing around in training. I, I, it's, it's very strange. I, I genuinely don't know what the issue is. I can't put my finger on it. If you guys have more insights, that would be great. But it is it is incredibly disappointing. I mean, I just feel bad for someone like um and Etzebeth who are like, you know, world-class players that should be playing in a team performing better than what they are. Like, they don't deserve to be playing in a team that's bumbling along you know i mean like, like it's one thing for shots to kind of come up what mid-table you can have unlucky losses but to be coming 16th in a t competition that includes welsh teams like <laughs> what is happening honestly oh, i just i just want to cry listening to you talk <laughs> <laughs> 
the uh, thing is like the worst part is that the you know you look at like a lot of teams that are underperforming you can point to what issues are and you can have optimism that they can be fixed you know if you look at like australia you can see that there are some strong players if you get a good coach in that you can turn that ship around post eddie i mean he's obviously eddie's done a lot of damage but you can still see that things can improve there but the sharks have everything they need you know, they've got a top coach that's got international coaching and previous head coach experience you've got a superstar roster you've got huge amounts of financial support you've still got a strong relatively strong fan base you know if you look at the way that the, the crowds are still pouring onto the field um you know, there's still twenty thousand people at the match on saturday against the lions you know after losing eight games or seven games a season at that point like the, the ingredients are all there but but yeah, so what do you do to turn it around? Bring back Khaleesi, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know what more you can give them to try and fix it. Yeah, perhaps it is like certain problem positions. I mean, most obvious one I think is Fly Hot, where they're persisting with Koo and Bosch, um, who, who has just not pushed on, just keeps, if anything, is regressing. I think as time goes on. playing badly either, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's such a yeah. crucial position. And then you've got Hooker with Wongi out also, where, again, like you said, um, Bez and Bata and Karen Beeren, they've been around, but they've just never been able to push on. And I think that those sort of players, like you say, they're just not good enough. In the other unions, you start seeing these young guys like Cameron Hanacom or, um, you know, players who are being pushed. And I don't know if there are any good young Sharks players who have come through in the last couple of years. No, you're right. I mean, the guys that you were looking at are the Karen Fafirans, Fez and Barter, Pepsi, James Fenty, even if it came from the Lions. Um, you know, Manus, what's his, Manus is his name? The wing. No, you've got like, it's sort of like Potkita. You've got like, even a guy like Fussy, you know, like he was meant to be the next big thing. You've yeah. got guys that are coming through and they're making consistent appearances at that level, but yeah, they're not breaking through to that elite level that you're seeing youngsters do it at other unions. Um, which is interesting, you know, Pepsi was, was touted as, as, as one of the next big things. And he's, you know, look, he's, he's a consistent, strong performer. But he's not a superstar. He's not, not, not looking like he's in a Springboard conversation. You know, he hasn't ever broken onto the scene in the same way Elric Lowe, Evan Ruiz, uh, Hanukkah did. Um, you know, and guys, you know, some of the guys in the locking position, same thing. Like, I mean, from Hidden, was one of Alex's big favorites, didn't come through. JJ van der Mesh, one of the C's. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it seems like the team's kind of a lot of the team. I think is just down to Grant Williams just be doing mad shit a lot of the time. Like <laughs> it happened a lot last season that Grant Williams just did a bad thing and it won them the game. And you know, even against the Lions, you know that that try that he took, like he had absolutely no right to score that try. I mean, the there was some poor defense from the Lions, but he still did very well to exploit finish it. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's a fair point. But maybe maybe there's some, there's just not enough deep talent. I don't know. Feels weird to say because you get guys like Vincent Tutuka, you know, he comes from the Lions. They are superstar form, pretty average at the Sharks. You know, Notche was you know, he's kind of bumbling along. Yeah, it just seems like something is sort of broken in terms of getting young players through getting players from other unions and having a you known sport dip in form once you join the team. 
I don't know if it is just the team culture, like you said, with someone like Elizabeth should be able to help with that, but things have just not gone right. Maybe it's just a combination of all these things and it's been really bad luck. Yeah. I mean, look, we know there is something wrong with the water and burden, so maybe it's related to that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's maybe. the whole point. Maybe because they can't swim in the ocean, they're now like playing really shit. Take the ocean away from the sharks and you know, you have landbound sharks flopping around. There we go. Exactly. It's the, it's the ancient old tuna versus lion debate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> depends on depends on the um, battlefield. Exactly. We've taken the sharks out of water. Sharks just aren't very good with a bamboo breathing apparatus. <laughs> they'll, they'll still blame it on the shark's humidity, though. You hear that one every time. Oh, it's the shark's humidity, though. the Durban humidity, at least. Yeah. Oh. oh, well. As, as, much as, as much as we do like to have a go at each other about our club teams, I think it's all is. <laughs> South African rugby supporters really don't like to see any of our teams doing this badly. So we're all hoping that the Sharks can turn it around. They've got two fairly simple fixtures coming up. Um, the first is in the Challenge Cup against um, Oyonnax, Oyonne. How do you, um, we don't know. We had to look up before um, this podcast recording where the hell this place in France is. I'm going to avoid saying the name. It's apparently closer to Geneva than any other major French city on the eastern edge of France. And we couldn't name a single player, but there's a few old Super Rugby players. They're in the Pro Day 2, huh? They're not in the Top 14. No, they're in the Top Division. They must be in the Top Division. Top 14. They have Champions Cup or Challenge Cup, rather. I looked at the largest now, I didn't see them. They're just that far down. Oh, they're 12. How are Montpellier last? Well, yeah, this is. Montpellier and Leon are below Oyen Nax. It's not George Bridges' fault. Onion, onion Nax. Onion, onion Nax. That sounds like a new flavor of knickknacks. I think we must go over that. Um, <laughs> so they've got that fixture coming up at home on the 13th, so in five days' time from recording. And then they've got the Dragons away, which, you know, away fixture is never easy, but against a Welsh team. And then they've got the Stormers, Lions, Ulster, and Edinburgh. So. Um, they they have a chance of the next two games to get into a bit of a winning habit and start to feel good about themselves again. And remember, they can play rugby. So we're all going to support them in those two fixtures. And then it'll be derbies against the Stormers and Lions again, where we'll, uh, we'll butt heads once more. But until then, we'll all support the Sharks. Yeah. The, the Lions, on the other hand, uh, we talked about their URC fortunes, which are fairly rosy by Lions terms, I guess. They're actually also looking at uh, a fairly healthy uh, Challenge Cup uh, fixtures coming up. They've got um, Montpellier, who, as Ant just discovered, are bottom of the, the French French League. They've got them away. So we'll see if they send a full-strength team over to France to play Montpellier, who should be more formidable than they have been this season. Um, and then they have a home game against Ospreys. So if they can win at least one of those fixtures, they'll be through to the knockouts of the Challenge Cup, which gives them an opportunity to qualify directly to Champions Cup for next season, which would be really, really great. They're the only South African side who haven't tasted elite uh, European rugby. So, yeah, we'll be cheering on those two sides. Um, and they played in the URC. <laughs> well, yeah, it's... <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> Are you not saying that URC is better than the Champions Cup? <laughs> we are not, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough, but it but it involves Welsh. So, um, yeah. Anything else from you guys? Uh, I think we've pretty much covered the topics. We're running on 
close to an hour now. Any other last parting thoughts? Anything we haven't covered so far that you guys wanted to raise today? Oh, the storm is going to get the double over the sharks this weekend. This weekend? This... They're playing the sail sharks this weekend. Ah. Uh, which I'm shark? not going to that. Um... I'm going to try to get tickets. And I think sail are top of the Premier Shalom. Premier nice. Northampton Saints, I know, winning. But... Um... I think the Stormers have a pretty good chance. You know, at home, I would back them to beat just about anyone. Um, and yeah, the like we've been saying, the Stormers are in pretty good form. So I would expect to win. I think uh, anything less than a winner would be pretty disappointing from the Sharks. I mean, from the Stormers, sure, from the Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, should be a good game. I think it's Saturday night, Saturday half past seven. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be there. And there's a thousand. South Africans and that sales sharks team, so it'll be fun to watch. That's true. And uh, I guess the, the last news item I didn't cover early on before we sort of naturally segued into URC and Challenge and Champions Cup is uh, DuPont uh, joining up with the French Sevens team. Um, just quickly before we finish the episode, maybe we'll finish with that conundrum. Um, is he a sevens type player how do you guys see that going oh, i think he's gonna do bits i think yeah. sevens is a sport he will transition into very very well it's like just got that, that yeah. nuggety power illusion and fight that you get out of you know he's like kind of like a you know like duarte just kind of close on the scene fast he's just like small nuggety and just fights really hard and it's just dipon yeah. to a t Exactly. I think he fits that sweeper scrum half uh, sort of position that you have in seven. It's like perfectly. So I think that he will do very, very well. I don't know how, if he can sort of bring France up enough to compete for a gold medal, but you know, it is in Paris. They'll be pushing really hard. I don't know if any of the other French players have joined. I mean, I know so. McAvoo was thinking about it and Penno and LBB were, were also rumored. Oh, McAvoo. Um, you know, I, I think McAvoo would be a brilliant forward it but i mean penno as well like you know if you could kind of create a specialized role from the wing like i mean oh, that elusiveness yeah you will do very very well i don't know if he works hard enough to really survive but i think you know on attack he will do bits well yeah i'll put him in the same back line as dupont and things will happen <laughs> regardless of the code yeah no exactly i mean they, they if they can get the scores again i don't know if they'll have enough systems players like you do kind of need in sevens um, for France to really push for that with that gold medal. But I think they, uh, DuPont individually, will do some, some crazy things I'm expecting. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. But um, until then, uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you're listening at the end of this hour-long episode, I hope we've uh, brought you up to speed on the various things happening, especially with the South African sides. Mm -hmm. We've got some... Interesting times ahead before we head to knockouts for URC, but we'll keep bringing you some content over the coming weeks. Thanks to my co-presenters, Phil and, and Alex, making his guest appearance. Thank you. Some some really cool insights from you, Alex. So you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Good night.